Thank you for sharing, Young. Um, I was, um, you know, Young and I have been talking throughout this week, just communicating. Um, one of the things I said was, hey, I'm praying that uh, there will be at least one person who really needs to hear um, your testimony and your story today. And maybe that's you from wherever you are, whether it's your first time here, whether it's your like thousandth time here, uh, you're a guest, you just, someone made you come today. Um, but I hope and pray that if you feel like that story resonates with you at, at any point, um, that you would open your heart, um, you'd open your heart and hear um, continually what the Lord is wanting to do in us. The church is a broken place because we're broken and, and, and messed up people, but when the church is working right, there's nothing like it in all the world, right? There's nothing like it to heal, to give life, to give hope, uh, to give strength, to give purpose, to give comfort. So uh, welcome if you're new, if you are um, not a regular here, I want to thank you so much for coming. Can we do something real quick? We, we didn't do this in the beginning, but can we all uh, stand for maybe like a, uh, maybe 15 seconds, and let's say hello, say, I'm so glad you're here. You say Merry Christmas, if you'd like, to about four people around you, and then let's come back to our seats. <laughs> say Merry Christmas to someone that you haven't seen yet, yeah, somebody that you haven't talked to yet, and then uh, we'll make our way back to our seats. Well, this is uh, certainly the most wonderful time of the year. I do uh, reckon this to be true. At least what we're celebrating is an amazing thing. Uh, we have had a pretty eventful month here, December here at, at Harvest. For those of you who, maybe you know, maybe you don't know, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to see if any of them are here, but we had a couple babies born within our congregation uh, in the last couple weeks. Uh, one of them was a first child born to a couple. Another was the second child born to a couple. Um, the second child was a little girl named Victoria, beautiful little girl, born to Tiago and Lisa, right? Uh, I don't know if they're here, if Tiago's here, but uh, being the second child means that there was always a first child, and so the first child was a boy named Enzo, okay? Enzo, when you're the only child, you get all of the attention, you get all of the love, you get all of the affection, and that was Enzo for all of his life until Victoria was born. I think that uh, Enzo probably slept sometimes in his parents' room. I don't know if he slept in his own room. Sometimes he slept in his own bed. But as soon as Victoria was born, everything changed. Uh, after she was born, uh, the first night uh, she had to spend overnight in the hospital for recovery, Enzo and his dad, Tiago, went home, and they went back to the hospital the next morning to see mom and baby Victoria. And when Enzo got there, he asked his mom, Lisa, he said, Mommy, did Victoria replace me? Because she slept with mommy that night while he went home to sleep with daddy. He knew something. Obviously, you cannot be replaced in the heart of a parent, but he knew something, and he was saying something extremely important and actually quite deep, that the birth of a baby changes everything. Right? Enzo's life was completely different. It will never be the same again. Enzo's life is different. Tiago's life is different. Lisa's life is different. That's basically it. No one else's life has changed. But for all of the change that that baby brought to their family, hey, here's the reality. Life is going to go on for the rest of us. Okay? Our lives are not going to be changed much by it. That's just the simple fact. But we're here today to celebrate this other reality, that 2,000 years ago, a baby was born 
that literally changed not only the lives of his parents, but the entire world, so much so that 2,000 years after the fact, we're still celebrating his birthday, not just here in some corner in central Florida, but all around the world. Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, God who became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus, that's what we celebrate at Christmas, and so people go shopping in order to buy gifts on Christmas, or for Christmas, or during Christmas, around that season, from Florida all the way to the Philippines, traffic is jammed throughout the month of December, because people are fighting to find gifts to celebrate his birth, whether they know it or not, that's what they're doing. They're shopping in celebration of his birthday. Again, many people don't understand that. Many people don't know that. But that's what Christmas is. What kind of a baby could change the world born to two... He wasn't... He was born to two peasant parents, so poor, in a little town called Bethlehem that nobody's really heard of had it not been for the fact that he had graced that town with his entrance, with his birth. What other place, what other baby, what other holiday gets that much, gets that much attention? Every, I mean, there's a lot of holidays that we celebrate that are pretty awesome. I will, uh, I, New Year's Day is coming up, New Year's Day, and it's a big thing. People go to New York, they go to all these different places to celebrate the dropping of the ball and the new year being brought in. But once New Year's Day ends, it's, it's basically one day. That's all it is. It's not, it's not even a day. I think it's 11.59, midnight, 12.01. People start singing Auld Lang Syne, and they hug each other, and they blow their party things, and they put on their hats, and then it's over. Right? New Year's Day, as great as it is, gets one day, not even. It gets a few hours, if anything. Valentine's Day, a celebration of love and everything that is around romantic love, still gets one day. Once February 15th rolls around, Valentine's Day is gone. Easter, too. Easter is a celebration. It's the greatest day in history but people don't have Easter parties after Easter is done. But with Christmas, it's different. And Christmas is different. There's no other time of year where people get together and they take family pictures. I know they do this at Easter, but you don't take those Easter pictures and distribute them to all of your friends and family. You do that at Christmas. Why? Something happened that day that changed everything forever. This is the glory and the beauty of Christmas, where people celebrate it for an entire month. Right? From, even from the, at the end of November, once Thanksgiving is done, people start shopping for Christmas parties. You have Christmas parties starting three weeks before. Only Christmas gets an entire month. What kind of a child is this? What kind of a baby? Who is this baby that was born in Bethlehem that we sang about, that we sing about, that we'll continue to sing about? Who is this child and what was so significant about the birth of this child that changed everything, everywhere, forever? I want to look at that today as we talk about continually the greatest message ever heard. This is the greatest message that the world could ever hear, could ever know. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2. We're going to read just verses 6 through 12 today. We have been talking for the last three weeks about a message, a message about a gift, message about reconciliation, and how this gift of Jesus changes everything. Today, I want to talk about why and how and that this is a message worth celebrating. Luke chapter 2, uh, we're going to read verses 6 through 12. 12. This is God's word as a doctor named Luke, living back in the first century, uh, was writing the account of the birth of Jesus, the first Christmas. 
Um, chapter 2, starting in verse 6. This is God's word. It says, while they were there, the time came for the baby, Jesus, to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because the, there was no room for him, them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. This is God's word. I want to look at mainly uh, a couple verses here, but I want to focus right now on, on verse 10. I want to read this again. It says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I just want to bring just one verse, two thoughts here. Here's the first thought. Christmas. Okay, Christmas is the announcement of good news okay, for you and for all people. What is Christmas and why do people celebrate this all around the world? Because here, Christmas is the announcement of good news. It's good news and it's for you <laughs> and you and you and you and you and you and for all the people. What does that mean? Uh, I saw this video, I saw a video this week and, and maybe you've seen it. Um, there's a, a talk show hostess named Ellen and she has this like December great holiday great giveaway or something that, uh, that effect. And so I was watching this one particular a uh, thing where she did where uh, they, took, they went to a school in southeast D.C. So Washington, D.C. is divided into four quadrants, and southeast is uh, the worst of the four. It's in the shadow of the White House, and yet it's the most impoverished and the most dangerous of the areas in D.C. And so there was this one school, elementary K-5 through school in uh, D.C., where uh, 356 students, and all of them are on government programs. Um, all of them get free breakfast, all of them get free lunch, and two-thirds of them are either homeless or in foster care, right? That's the school that's there. And so as they're filming this documentary, um, the, the principal, it shows her as she's at the top of the stairs as, as kids are coming in. And she greets them with a big old smile, gives them a high five, and she's like really excited to see them. And she's like, every day I love coming to school. I just, it brings me such joy every single day to come to school. And the assistant principal, he comes out, and, they inter and, and they're talking to him, and he's like, we just, man, it's our mission. We want people to know that what, uh, where they are has no impact on who they are. We just want to love them. We just want to love them. We just want to love them. And because of uh, so many of them are under the poverty line, teachers um, have gotten families together and taken them to the grocery store and bought them food. That's the kind of school in which they, uh, they, they learn. And so... It, it, it kind of goes on in, in, in the video, and the assistant principal and the principal are, are sitting in this classroom, and there's three students, okay, three young students, and each of them are sitting in front of a laptop computer, and they're, they're doing work, and they're trying to figure out all this stuff, and then through the door walks the former first lady, Michelle Obama, and this, if you watch the video, the, this one girl sees her, and she's in shock, and she's like, Obama! And she just starts screaming. 
Like the other kids are like, oh my gosh, what is she doing here? The principal and the assistant principal are just like absolutely dumbfounded. Like what in the world is Michelle Obama doing here? And for these kids, these African-American children, she is the pinnacle. The reason they can dream is because of people like her. She gives me and her husband has given me reason to believe that I, no matter where I grew up, no matter what my ethnicity, no matter where I came from, that I can make something of my life. And so for her to walk into that classroom was almost as shocking as an angel appearing to the shepherds in the fields by Bethlehem. They are just absolutely, completely like, what in the world, what kind of fortune is this? And she says, we heard about the work that you guys are trying to do. We know that you're up against the odds, and so we wanted to bring you a gift. And so she brings out this big old box and sets it on the table, and she gives it to the principal and the assistant principal and says, this is for you. And so they, they tell the kids to open it. They open it up, and the kids start, like, their eyes, like, pop out of their head. It's $100,000 in cash. And she's like, we want you to do with this whatever you need to do for your school. And... If they're, not, if they're not bouncing off the walls, they're speechless. Their mouths are just dropped like, what in the world? Then Michelle Obama goes into the, the office and she gets on the loudspeaker speaking into all of the classrooms. And she says, children, scholars, this is Michelle Obama. They're like, what? <laughs> She's like, I would like to meet each of you in the cafeteria, so please walk slowly and walk quietly, and I'll meet you in five minutes. I guarantee you there was no quiet walking. There was no, they were running, and they were screaming, and they were just like pushing each other out of the way in order that they could get into that place. And they're sitting there in these chairs in these rows, and they're waiting, and up on stage, the curtain comes, uh, divides, and Michelle Obama comes out, and they're just like Oh, my goodness, we've seen the wizard. This is, oh, take me home now. It's craziness, just insanity, pandemonium ensues. And they're like, oh, my gosh. She's like, you're probably wondering what I'm doing here. That's the understatement of the year. Yeah, what are you doing here? It's like, well, we wanted to give you guys all these things. And so she said, first thing I noticed when I drove in here was there was no basketball court. And so we wanted to change that. We're going to give you a basketball court. And so they put up this computer rendering of the basketball court, and it's amazing. And the teachers are like, oh, my gosh, this is a gift from heaven. And they're like, oh, and they're going crazy. And the boys are like, yeah, you know, I'm going to kill you in basketball and all this stuff. And, and they're celebrating. And she's like, I also noticed, I also noticed when I went to your computer lab that there were only three computers, and they were quite old. And they weren't Apple computers. I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. <laughs> but they were quite old. When I look at you, this is what she said, when I look at you, I see future doctors and lawyers and presidents. And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to give you all in your classrooms brand new computers, and your teachers will all get their own personal laptop. And the teachers are like dancing and slam dancing, and oh my goodness, this is amazing. And then she says, but education doesn't just stop at school. It needs to go wherever you go. And so for the kids, we're going to give each and every single one of you a brand new iPad. And the kids are like, what? And so these elves come out, and they're passing out iPads. And some of them, they're just like waiting for it. Other kids are like, are you sure I'm allowed to have this? Like, I don't think I can have This is really for me. It was just absolute insanity. And they were going crazy. It was such a 
you know, whatever you think about Ellen, whatever you think about Michelle, that's not, the, that's not the point. The point is what was happening there was something so deep and so powerful and so moving. What was it that was happening? Michelle Obama came into that school and she was announcing good news of great joy that will be for all the students of that school, not just for one or two, the valedictorian, the smartest ones, the best ones, the fifth graders. She said for all of the people. And all you need to do is believe it and open up your hands to receive it. Because can I tell you something, guys? Whether it's Christmas or whether it's Christianity, we have been told lies. We've been told a lie about Christmas that in order for you to get this gift, you can't be naughty, you gotta be nice. You gotta be on the good list, you can't be on the bad list. You have to be the ones who made mom and dad happy, you can't be the ones who picked on other kids. You've got to be the right kind of person in order to get this gift, but that's not the message of the good news of Christmas, not according to the Bible. Not according to the Bible. And some of you have come into church not wanting to come because you've been told that you need to clean up your mess before you come into church. Because if you want to be a Christian, you've got to live a moral life. You've got to be a good person. You've got to do all these things right. You've got to at least follow the Ten Commandments. But that's not what Jesus came to say. He did not. He did not come to say, I bring you today good advice that will be for all the people. He said, I came to bring you good news. Advice is what you need to do. News is something that's already happened. There is a world of difference. Here's what Michelle Obama said. I'm coming to bring you good news, that someone has paid for all of this, and all you need to do is receive it. She did not. She did not say, okay, I'm going to give you this. Just, we're going to hold on to it until next year, and those of you who get a 4.0 GPA can claim your iPad. She didn't say that. She didn't say, all of you who get perfect attendance can come and claim your iPad and we'll give it to you on January 1st. She didn't say that. Nor did she say, teachers, you guys, need to, you guys are doing a great job here, but you need to volunteer 500 hours at my foundation and then we'll give you your brand new MacBook Air. She didn't say that. It's not good advice of what you need to do in order to earn this, get this, win this. It's good news that this is already your inheritance. You just need to open up your hands and receive it. It is good news of great joy that was for all the kids and teachers at that school. And what the angel is announcing here says, this is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And the shepherds, okay, the most unsavory characters in the Christmas message, in the true Christmas story, in the society in which they lived, are hearing, this is good news for me also. How does this make any sense? This ought to be good. If he's the king, then he ought to be coming for the rich, the royal, the successful, the smart, not for people like us. And then the angel say, I, I understand. I anticipate your question. He said, verse 12, this will be a sign to you. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Okay, here's a dead giveaway. Here's a dead giveaway. You want to know that what I'm saying is true, that this is good news of great joy for all the people, whether they're princes or paupers, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're American or, or, or whatever their ethnicity. You, you want to know? He say, he, he's saying, you want to know how? Here's how you'll know. This is a dead giveaway. You'll, you'll tell him by his clothes, and you'll tell him by where he stays. Where would you think the king of the world would be born? And what do you think he would be wearing? What do you think would be the onesie of the king? You find a baby wrapped, not dressed, wrapped in cloths 
like literally rags. Rags. But at least the rags will be, will be safe in that gold-plated crib lying in a manger. The announcement to the shepherds was that the king would be born in a barn. Okay, this is not 21st century America where people want to hang out in barns. Like I, We've had people who had wedding receptions in barns. I love the rustic look. That's not, Mary's not like, oh, Joseph, it'll be so rustic. Right? The pictures will look amazing. We can post this on our Instagram. He, he didn't say it. There was no housekeeping going in and cleaning that barn, that manger, before Jesus came in. No Febreze, no poopery, no Lysol, none of that stuff. This was a barn not cleaned up, unsterilized, a barn like we know. This is a, a stinking, literally, barn. He said, this will be a sign to you, a dead giveaway that he came for everybody. What was the sign? He said, here, don't mistake this. Here's the sign. Here's what I'm saying. I came for people who stink. I'm not afraid of your stink. I'm not afraid of your mess. Here's what Jesus was saying. Here's what God was saying in sending his son on Christmas Day to be born in a manger wearing strips of rags. He's saying, there's no place I will not go. There's no person to whom I will not go. There's no depths to which I will not go. There's no mess I will not enter for you to know how much I love you and that I came for you. He says, don't mistake this sign, right? Because a sign is not just, oh, a, a, no, it's a sign. We read this and we say, this will be a sign. This is how you'll know who he is. That's not what he's saying. A sign always points to a greater reality. Some of you came for the first time and someone told you, hook a left or hook a right onto Davenport. There'll be a sign for the church. The sign says harvest. That's the name of our congregation. You didn't say, oh, the sign, and stop at the sign and say, this is harvest. I'm waiting for the people to come. I wonder how they do this in the rain. Why is nobody here? Must be because of the weather. That's not what we do. The sign is always pointing to a greater reality. And the reality that the sign of a babe wrapped in cloth in rags lying in a manger was that I will go to whatever lengths in order to show you that I came for you. Not only for you, but I came for all the people. I came for people like Yom. I came for people who counted me out. I came for people who've been hurt by my people. I came for people who don't think they're good enough. I came for people who think they're so good. I came for every person that's why it's good news that this message has been opened up to everybody. Like, this is for you. As long as you're alive, this message is for you. As long as you can hear or listen or understand or read, this message is for you. As long as you've got the breath of life in you, this message is for you. Because it's good news of great joy that will be for all the people, and that includes you, and that includes me. That's the first thing we need to understand at Christmas. This is not just about trees and tinsel and pine cones and lights and angels and fairy dust and all that stuff. This is a message, an announcement of good news that has happened in the world, in our lives, and it's given to you. That's the first thing. What do we then do with this announcement. What do we do with this pronouncement? What do we do with this good news? Second thing is God wants you to celebrate and share the good news. See, a lot of times when it comes to Christmas, 
We remember Christmas. We talk about Christmas. But when's the last time you got down and you dropped down? I don't know if you need to drop down and dance and boogie, but should not if. This really is good news of great joy. Shouldn't our, in some way, whether it be expressively or in our own hearts, should we not have the same kind of wonder as the teachers or students of that school in Southeast D.C. did when Michelle Obama brought them the good news of great joy? When's the last time you were moved to tears because of what God has done for you in Christ? When's the last time there was awe and wonder when the message of Christmas's familiarity did not breed contempt with the message of, Chrissy, of Christmas and its reality? Because if this really is what we're saying it is, and it is, then why do we, especially those of us who know, celebrate so meekly and without wonder, without awe, without this sense of glorious rapture to the reality of what Christ has done, what God has done. Well, I will say, I think there's at least a couple ways, a couple reasons. For a lot of us, we can't celebrate good news because we have allowed ourselves to be distracted. It is not just at Christmas. You understand how this happens, right? I've, t- I've, talked to, I've talked to brides weeks before, days before, even hours before the greatest day of their lives, at least to some, their wedding day. I said, girl, in, in a few minutes, you're going to change your name. In a few minutes, you're going to be part of a new family. In a few minutes, everything's going to change. How are you feeling about this? I have talked to more than one bride who said, oh my gosh, I just want this to be over with. Isn't that wild? That the greatest news that someone has loved me and pledged themselves to me and they will say that they will have in the whole for richer, poor, poor, all these things until death can bring about so much distraction that they cannot celebrate with wonder the fact that they were chosen and that their lives will never be the same again. It happens at graduations too. You've made it through 12 years of, of, of school and now you're going to you know, go into the next stage of life. Or wow, you've made it, you're a bachelor. Now you've made it and you're a master. Now you've made it and you're a doctor. And we're outside celebrating. Hey, good job. Oh, don't hug me too tight. I'm sweating like so bad. Oh, congratulations. How you feel? Do you feel any different now that the tassel went from one side to the other? Oh, no, it's just, man, it's just so hot out here. I can't believe my parents want me to take pictures in this black gown, and it's like 100 degrees, and it's like beating down. It's like fire hot out here. And oh, I'm like, sometimes we're so distracted that we can't celebrate the amazing news of what has happened to us. How distracted are you this Christmas? trying to get that one elusive gift that your kid said they wanted. And then realizing, kind of like that one uh, Walmart commercial that, oh, you know, you got all these princess toys hidden under the bed, and then princess walks in and, oh, what's up, princess? Daddy, I'm not a princess anymore. I want to be a movie director. Oh, my gosh, i got to take all these things back, and i got to order all these. Is that you, like, so, so distracted and so stressed? Maybe it's your spouse who put that pressure on you. You better find me the best gift. If you really knew me, I don't need to make a list. You, gotta, you better know. Shoot. 
recognize what I want, I read my mind, Sue, and then you're so stressed out because of that that you can't celebrate the wonder of Christmas. What do we do? There's another reason why some of us can't celebrate Christmas. If one group of people can't celebrate well because we're distracted, other people can't celebrate the good news of Christmas because we're using the celebration as a distraction for the messiness of our lives. My life stinks right now. I lost my job. I don't have any friends. I'm in a new city. My friends are sick. My best friend is no longer my best. Whatever your issues are. I just want to go, just find me a Christmas party. Find me something. Find me good cheer. Find me something so that I can distract myself from this. Last year, it's not a Christmas story, but last year, two years ago, my family, another friend's family, we were on the West Coast, and so we went to the Grand Canyon, then we went to Las Vegas, and so we're hanging out in Las Vegas a lot of family-friendly things to do in Las Vegas, and a lot of not family-friendly things to do in, in Vegas also. Um, but we did all the family-friendly stuff, obviously, because that's how we roll. And then one night, one night my friend and I were, were walking through some of these hotels. Just like, oh, this is like really cool, beautiful hotels, nice hotels, cool hotels. And as we're nearing the escalator at one particular hotel, these two uh, girls, ladies, probably in their 20s, were walking up, and they had clothes on like they were ready to party. They had been partying. I, I'm going to assume they had been uh, kind of partaking of different kinds of beverages that led them to a state of inebriation. If you don't know what that means, that's okay. But that's, they were coming up the, up the escalator, and they're like, hey, guys. We're like, hey, guys. Like, you guys here to party? How's Vegas? How's your vacation? You guys here to party? They're like, yeah, we're here to party. Yeah, we're partying with our wives and our children. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, we love to party. We're, lo- we're, we're here to party, too. We're here to party. They're saying, yeah, we're here to party. And they're, like, so excited. Yeah, big old party. This is awesome. Rock on. And they're, like, you know what we're celebrating? I was, like, what? We're having a we hate men party weekend. Yeah, we hate men. <laughs> I was, like, okay. She's, like, yeah, yeah, we hate men. You guys are men. And she didn't say they hated us, but she said, I just got dumped by my boyfriend because he cheated on me with another girl, and, and she just getting, she's going through the middle of a divorce, and yeah, we just came to party because we hate men, and she's like, party on. We're like, all right, cool. So we went down the escalator. What happened in Vegas did not stay in Vegas. I shouldn't have said that because people would get mad, but that's what happened. What was going on? They were looking for every reason to celebrate in order to distract them from the reality of the messiness of their lives. Maybe some of us are here and things don't look so great as it stands. And we're not really excited about 2020. As we get closer, we realize, man, this might be the hardest year of my life. I've got to become an adult or I've got to take care of this person, or I've got to do this thing, or man, I'm starting school, or I'm starting a J-O-B, or whatever it is. You got something going, and you just feel like, man, I'm too, I'm, I'm too stressed to know how blessed I am. I'm too distracted to be able to celebrate the wonder of it all. Maybe that's you. But can I remind you that Jesus came, Christmas came, not to distract you, from the mess, not to be a distraction because what happens as soon as a distraction is done, once the eggnog wears off, reality hits you and you're right back in the same situation. You don't need a distraction. You need good news. 
of a Savior who will sit in the midst of your mess. Even though that mess may not change right away, you might be sitting in that mess for a long, 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 long time. But what can anchor you and give you hope and comfort in the midst of all of that? Could there be any better news than the fact that God would come down from heaven and leave the sterile heavenly praises of angels above to come down into the messiest of places because that's what he came to do. He says, this will be a sign, and don't mistake this, at the beginning of my life, I was born around rags and placed my resting place would be a big block of wood nailed together. He says, don't mistake this. Because throughout my life, I lived what that sign at my birth was saying about me. I lived amongst messy people for all of my life, yet in perfect obedience to the will of the Father. So that on the last day of his life, clothed again in rags, he will be placed in his final resting place, another block of wood nailed together, one to another. He was born into a mess, and he died into a mess. And every moment of his life was spent with people who thought that they made such a mess that Jesus could never come to me. It was the tax collector. It was the sick. It was the bleeding woman. It was the, uh, the Samaritan woman who had, had multiple men. It was the adulterer. It was all of these people that the world said, why, why, would, you, why would you go to them? Because his message was not one of good advice. It was good news. And the best news of all is that it's not just contained here, but the word is fleshed out in us now, that he came for you, and he came for me, and he came for all people. What would an appropriate response be? Here's what good news of great joy that will be for all the people and later you'll see the angels are celebrating, they're crying out, the shepherds are returning, they're praising God, they're telling everybody, what is God, here's what God wants, he wants you to celebrate this. What does that mean? Here's, here's one way you can celebrate this, maybe we, maybe we can do this. I thought, about, I thought about doing this after our first service, I thought about doing this here in this service, but um, I'm not going to, so maybe you can do it. There's a pastor, an author named Rick Warren out in, in, in California, and when he was three years old, he heard that Christmas was Jesus' birthday. And so amidst all of the, the, the presents and gift giving, he said, where's the cake for Jesus? And so they said, okay, well, let's go get a cake for Jesus. So they got a cake, and they sang, happy birthday to Jesus. They sang songs. They read the Christmas message story in the Bible. And then they answered two questions. What are you thankful for this year? And what gift would you like to give Jesus this year? And he said from the time he was three years old until however old he is now, he said every year they've been doing this as their family tradition. And at first it was light and it was fun, kind of like last year when we did this and we asked our four-year-old Elise what you would give to Jesus. And she said, I'd give him a gift card. <laughs> sometimes it's light and sometimes it's fun. But as the years have gone on, it's gotten deeper and more significant and more powerful. Youngest grandchild will blow out the candle and then they'll go around and share. And it's a time of real just worship and celebration. 
I thought about having a cake so that we could all sing happy birthday to Jesus. I thought that would be awesome. You know, it's like the, 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 the most awkward song in the history of mankind, right? Like all these people are looking at one person. That one person is looking at them, doesn't want to look at them. It's just like weird. But I wonder if as we sang happy birthday to Jesus on his, the day we remember as his birth, I think as I was thinking about this and reflecting, I think what it would do for me is it would make it so much more crystal clear that God in heaven had a birthday, that he became a human. He became one of us so that he could show us how to live, he could live that life, and then he could die for our sins. That he was born and had a birthday and celebrated birthdays just like you and me in order that he would show us the way to the Father. God wants you and me to celebrate, not to fly through all of the stuff of Christmas and, and lie down exhausted. Man, that was a great party you threw. Yeah, great party that you threw. Yeah, all that stuff. And, and tomorrow we go back to paying off all our Christmas debt. No. And we would enter in and just worship and celebrate and delight in him. Maybe once that's done, you would go like the shepherds and you would just go share this message with people. Is there someone in your life who doesn't know what Christmas is all about? What do you do? What do you do when you see good news? If you're there at a wedding, what do you do? You take pictures and then you hit a button on social media that says share. Why? Why do you want to do that? I don't know why. Why do you want? I don't know why you want to do it. Can I tell you what it does for people who are not there? It gives them this colossal sense of FOMO. Man, what the heck? How come they were all there and I wasn't there? Like, man, did I miss a call? In? And then you start going frantic. You know what's worse than FOMO? Here's the only thing to me worse than FOMO. It's actually, it's called MO. <laughs> actually missing out. <laughs> this is a message of good news, of great joy that will be for all the people. And he wants you to share because there are some people who if they don't get this message, they're going to miss out. They're going to miss out. It can be simple. It can be as simple as, hey, come to our Christmas worship service. It could be as simple as one line on a, on a text. Here's what Christmas, Merry Christmas, here's what Christmas means to me. Here's how my life was changed. Maybe it's a link to Jung's testimony. I don't know what it's going to be. But somehow can you share the message of, don't. Let's not be, a, we have far worse things to fear than political correctness in this life. Just share with somebody a message that could transform their lives forever and ever. This is the greatest message ever heard. It's the greatest news that the world could ever know. It's the greatest story ever told because it's true and it's for you and it's big enough to change the entire world. Let's pray together. Let's pray uh, just uh, around, three, around three areas of response. One, let's thank God. Thank God that he came to us to bring us good news, not good advice. Thank him that he came to our world in order that we might be brought into his family. First thing. Second, let's pray. How will you celebrate Christmas this year? The good news. Not to be distracted, not to be overwhelmed, not to be stressed, but how can you celebrate the good news of great joy 
That's for you. And then thirdly, to whom and how will you share this good news of great joy with the world around? How will you do that? Through your social media, through a text, through an email, through a FaceTime call, through a conversation at the local coffee shop or the Asian restaurant that will open up on Christmas Day. What what would that look like for you to share the hope of Christmas? Let's take a couple moments to pray. Thanksgiving, celebration, sharing. That we would not let the greatest message ever heard not have its intended effect upon us and those we love. Let's pray together. Just 45 seconds. But this time of prayer is crucial to deepening the conviction, watering the seed that was planted, and asking the light of the sun to shine so that there will be fruit. God's word given not for information, but for transformation for you and those whom you'll encounter. Let's pray honestly, sincerely. It's 45 seconds. I'll pray for us and then we'll respond to the word in worship. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you because nothing in the true story of Christmas was accidental. What other baby birth announcement was accompanied by a choir of angels? Who else would go to lowly, despised, untrustworthy shepherds to be the first evangelists for the gospel? What kind of a king would be wrapped in cloths and lying in a place where just moments earlier the tongues of animals had licked? What kind of a king would do that? What kind of a life could bring good news of great joy that will be for every person who believes the message, including us? Only Jesus. Only Jesus our God, our King, the Savior of the world. This Christmas, Lord, help us to celebrate. This Christmas, help us to share. And this Christmas, help us to worship in a way that we have not before. Reinstate the wonder. Renew the awe. Lord, capture our hearts all over again, starting now as we sing these last songs to you. We love you because you loved us first. Pray these things in Jesus' name.